This is Coda Radio, episode 89 for February 17th, 2014. Everyone, you're listening to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our three fine sponsors, GoDaddy, Ting, and DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Good morning. How you feeling, buddy? been better yeah i can hear it in your voice oh yeah <laughs> i had it last week so uh last week my voice was like cutting out during the shows and i was constantly hitting the mute button coughing and blowing my nose i tried to cover it all up so that way i wasn't grossing anybody else out at home but i was suffering now we flipped roles it seems if you've got about what i had it seems to last about a week i'm not 100 percent yet but i figure by wednesday which is when it really hit me the worst i should be okay you're well, gonna be able to make it that's super suboptimal. <laughs> I know. I know. It does make working particularly hard. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, uh, I've got to tell you, I, I woke up this morning to... Um, it's the kind of thing that nobody ever wants to deal with when they do a show first thing in the morning, and that is total software failure. You ever had one of these days where you plan to sit down and start working, and all of a sudden, like, the thing you use to do your job just stopped functioning? Does that ever happen to you? Several times last year. Uh, yeah, so, you know, we use Wirecast to broadcast, and every show has its own unique profile. So I get out in the morning, and I restart the stream, and I load up the Coda Radio profile. And it's got all of our shots and our, you know, artwork and all that stuff. And the program, when I load the Coda Radio profile, just refuses to start. Won't even load. It just, like, locks up, and I have to force quit it. And so, last minute, like, like literally, like, at 8.30, so a half hour before we started, I'm sitting there rebuilding the profile based on another similar profile, similar show. <laughs> and it was like this emergency operation. And, I, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you have no idea. Is it going to be working in time? I don't know. I'm just going to keep working as fast as I can to make it work and hope that I reach my deadline. <laughs> so that was my fun morning. I didn't even get a chance to make myself a cup of coffee. That's, yeah, that's you know what, Chris, you're in good company. I actually only have green tea today. So. Oh, well, that's good for the voice. That's good yeah. for the voice. Uh, speaking of coffee, let's do a little quick coffee update. Uh, Kobe sent in a Kickstarter that is now, um, it is finished. So this is not an active Kickstarter you can contribute to. And man, I, I think he actually sent it in to us when it was still active. Oh, fully funded on December 8th. No, he didn't. Uh, I, did I would love to have gotten in on this. Check this thing out. This is called the World's First Roast Grind Brew Coffee Machine. And uh, tell me how much you love this. Uh, you, you you throw in raw green coffee beans to a, f- and it comes out as fresh black coffee at a single push of a button. How cool is that? And I'm gonna I'll play a little bit of their of their video because they got a pretty good video here with some cool music. Yo yeah. Hi, my name is Hans, and I have a dream. I want everybody out there to enjoy the fairest and freshest coffee possible. Therefore, my incredibly passionate team and I have spent the last two years developing a machine that can do the job. Now we need your support. 
help us to change the way coffee is perceived, traded, and enjoyed. Man, I tell you what, I because this is the only thing is like when I get really crazy busy, I don't have time to grind the coffee and wait for it to stew in the in the uh, yeah. press. So I I don't get my cup of coffee anymore. Whereas before with the K cups, at least would push a button. Now for me, the coffee's so much better. That's like, well, if I can't have good coffee, I'm not having coffee. Like I'm a snob now, right? Because I'm all sophisticated all of a sudden. Uh, but this. This is the way of the future, my friend. And they wanted $135,000. They got $681,000. Right. So hold the tick, though. I, I mean, I'm, I'm reading their Kickstarter. I'm a little behind, folks, because, you know, dying. <laughs> uh, it appears that you, you're, you're intended to purchase the beans unroasted. Yeah, yeah. It, it, now, that's very interesting. Yeah, I know it is. Because one of the reasons I buy some of the beans I buy is because of the roaster, like how they do it. Sure, sure, yeah. Well, if you know, I would assume if you if you wait to roast it till you're closer. I mean, it, it goes from roast to grind to to brew all in you know one. Oh, it's got to be it's got to be a fantastic cup of coffee. I yeah. would think so, right? I don't know how I didn't hear about this. Apparently, it was on TechCrunch, NBC News. I just uh, I'm out of it, I guess. Look at them though. I if anybody when this becomes a product, let us know because I'll probably miss that announcement too. But I think it's a pretty cool idea, and I, I oh okay, there's a picture of it, kind of sort of like a, and it's from uh, Bravada, which I've heard of that company before, or Bravada, but Bonavita, bon, whatever, bon, whatever it is, a company I've heard of before that's involved with coffee. So that's pretty exciting. Coffee, coffee, and one last little coffee update. Uh, this is the flip side of what we've been talking about. Jan wrote into the subreddit. He says, "Hey, Michael and Chris." I hear you like to talk about coffee a lot, so here's my story. I'm a 21-year-old programmer from Europe, and I never drunk coffee before. I came to Canada, and I remember I had my first espresso and felt a strong buzz from just a few sips. Anyway, I started drinking coffee, and it allows me to be more productive. Instead of six hours, I can do 10 or 12 hours of programming. However, I think I might have gone too far. Today, for instance, I had two cups of coffee, two caffeine pills, two scoops of caffeine powder... And four oolong teas. I feel like a heroin addict at this point. I need more and more of this stuff. Yeah, well, that is pretty intense, my friend. That is actually... <laughs> I mean, I did... Oh, boy. Um, he says, uh, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing that comes to mind is how fast can I get some caffeine intake? Throughout the day, whenever the caffeine stops, I start feeling like S, and I need another intake. Since the caffeine half-life is five hours, I sometimes drink till late in the evening. I can't go to sleep till morning hours either. I feel like I'm wrecking my body. What should I do? Should I just hard quit and go through caffeine withdrawal? Or should I just try to taper over time? Thanks. Have you ever run anything like this, Mike? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Not to the levels uh, this, this guy's. All right, so you, you need to stop. Yeah. I, yeah. I, so I... Um, you know, I have sleep apnea, and so I have yeah. definitely, definitely struggled with the so, so, so tired, my brain literally cannot function. Yeah. Um, and so I got pretty heavy into caffeine energy drinks, and for me, really, there, it was the sugar that was, I think, really killing me. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I, I just found when I start to notice my intake's too high, I just start to slow it down. Um, the other thing that kind of sounds like just kind of based, I wonder how he's spacing it out, but... Um, I I don't don't yeah I'm not a doctor okay but what I recall reading and you can go look this up is um if you if you ingest a ton of caffeine and then you let it ride all the way down and then ingest another type of caffeine another more caffeine your body's going through this yo-yo process where mm-hmm. is if you kind of just keep you can start with one strong intake of caffeine in the morning and then just keep mild uh, a slow mild intake of caffeine throughout the day so maybe you start with a, a strong cup of coffee or two and then you switch to tea for the rest of the day 
uh, cut out the pills, cut out the scoops, stuff like that. Yeah, I would, I, I would say definitely drop the pills. I yeah. mean, there's no, there's no call for that. Right. And uh, the number one thing you can do, right, is improve your sleep quality. And so yeah. maybe say stop drinking, and and this you're going to have to pay it. In, you're going to have to pay off some debt for a few weeks, probably. But stop drinking around three o'clock, maybe two o'clock. Experiment with that for four days. And see if your sleep dramatically improves because the way you the way you kind of I have found I weaned off caffeine is you have to resolve the sleep issue because what you're doing is every time you're drinking that much caffeine, you are basically putting last night's sleep on a credit card. And it's a cycle that you have to fix the day before before your next day is any better. And unless you fix it the day before, tomorrow is going to be wrecked. And uh, don't worry, man. You're uh, you're 21. <laughs> You'll figure yeah, this you'll out. You'll recover. I mean, you're, yeah. you're, your body's not, you're not <laughs> yeah. alone. You're, your body you're not wrecking your body. You're just probably, yeah. uh, you're probably going to make yourself uh, a little strung out. But I would also say you're probably not enjoying the coffee much. No, know? no. Especially if you're popping pills for caffeine. I would yeah. just, you know, maybe you keep it down to like three cups a day. Yeah. I mean, I know that's pot kettle black because I drink more than that. Yeah, but. or, you know, like I said, like uh, maybe one one or two cups and then switch to something a little uh, lower key, right? Yeah. Um, and I, and, and you gotta be careful. I don't think, I think we, I think our society, this is going to get probably beyond the scope of the show, but I think our society has gotten a little, uh, freewheeling with sugars and the caffeines. Yeah. You know, there's, uh, there's a million different types of energy drinks. I mean, I live in the Seattle area, right? This is the caffeine capital of the United States. We have literally coffee shops every 15 feet. Sure. It's ridiculous. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's easy to overindulge in these kinds of things, but think of caffeine as any kind of mind-altering chemical and just kind of take it easy it's important to remember that caffeine is in fact a drug right yeah you know it's and it's one that you know like other drugs can be uh abused right i mean a couple you know enjoying a cup of coffee enjoying a french press is okay but if you're if you're at this point where you're going through withdrawals or you're somehow jonesing for it that's yeah no i I would say i mean i i don't know i I don't know chris i I wouldn't tell him to stop cold turkey because that's gonna hurt but I'd say certainly just taper off a little bit today on drop the pills immediately and consider consider setting yourself a deadline and just accept, hey, you know what? So sometimes I know what happens, right, is you got so much work to do that you cannot productively wise afford to lose your evening work. However, just consider yourself taking a vacation for the next week after, you know, the evenings and, you know, make you set, set a lower set of expectations for yourself for a couple of days and it'll actually get better pretty quick. Um, and, uh, if you get headaches, don't take Excedrin. Some Excedrin has caffeine in it. So be careful of that too. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of stuff that has caffeine in it that you wouldn't expect either. So I know that uh, I have a few family members who can't drink any caffeine and every now and then they get a surprise. They have like a heart condition and they get a little, Ooh, Oh, I didn't know that was there. And they start to feel it. Uh, speaking of that, you know, I had my mom over this weekend and, um, she's never had a, uh, like an AeroPress style coffee. She's always just either done uh, the drip or the K cup thing more recently I, she was amazed. I made her a cup of coffee. When Jay said, "Mom, you got to try this. You just got to you got to experience this." You know, because we've been getting so many great beans from our audience out there. It's like I, she's she's never had probably coffee of this quality, and she's never had it in this style. And so I made her a cup of coffee, and she just like sipped on that for two hours. She said it was the best cup of coffee she'd ever had. So there you go. Because we're trying those AeroPresses are cheap. I wish we still had the Amazon affiliates. I bet we'd be selling a whole bunch of those. <laughs> Go figure. All right. Well, uh, Voldley writes in. He says, hi, Jar Jar and Chris. Oh, ouch. Jar Jar hasn't been around for a while, actually. Kind of miss him. A little I'm bit. sorry. I know. He says, love the show, although he's kind of bored with the Microsoft topic. And I, I wanted to, you know, so this is a thing about the Coda Radio program yes. is uh, as trends crop up in the industry, as events happen, the show sort of organically flows between topics and occasionally 
you know, we are in a current of topics that some subset of the audience doesn't find interesting. However, another subset of the audience does find it interesting. And that's just sort of the nature of a weekly show like this. So, um, you know, uh, tablets has been a good example in the past or mobile mm-hmm. phones. I think that, you know, I actually think we could do a whole nother episode. I, I, on the Microsoft thing, I actually think it's of historical importance as far as the overall tech industry. Obviously, everybody's aware of Microsoft's role in the tech industry. And when you have a major change like this, and I've actually been thinking about uh, thinking about the CEO change a lot more and, and thinking about how long it took them to announce sort of an, a, a quote unquote obvious choice and how really, um, really the best way to make these kind of announcements is, hey, Steve Ballmer is stepping down. Here's the new CEO. Right, and if you look at a lot of big companies, that's exactly how they do it. Um, uh, let's just go back uh, recently in time uh, when when Steve Jobs passed away. It wasn't now Apple will will announce this uh, nine month long search. It was and Steve and, and Tim Cook is taking over, or when Marissa Meyer took over at Yahoo. Old CEOs out. Here's our new CEO, Marissa Meyer. Right, or when Meg Whitman took over at HP. Old CEs CEOs out. Here's a new CEO, and it's much more. Um, planned it's much more organized it's much more thought through this microsoft thing to me now that i look back at it really if you look at the people who've been out in microsoft in the last two years major executives a lot of them responsible i'm going to say it a lot of them responsible for windows 8 all right hmm. balmer being one of them they cleaned house over at microsoft that's what we just watched happen and the and the way they did it was not clean in the sense of well presented, well put together. It was, we're lopping off the head. We now have a lame duck in office while we go on this search trying to find everybody else we possibly can. And after eight, nine months, we're going to land on the guy that should have probably been the choice from the very beginning. And you remember, remember Elop was like leaking his plans for Microsoft about splitting the company up and all of these kinds of things. And then uh, Malali from Ford was uh, w- was so hotly uh, suggested that he actually had to come out and say, no, I'm not going to leave Ford. After so he you played heard the, Duck for you a while. You heard the other rumor about Malali, though, right before he bowed out. The right? retirement thing or what? Uh, so the, the rumor is that Malali was interested, but he had a couple conditions. Oh. Two of which were Ballmer and Gates leave the board interesting and they contractually bind themselves to not interfere even though they own you know most of the company well i think malali was right he wanted a total free hand and that just wasn't gonna happen you know i I don't know i mean um gosh it's really hard so i see two microsofts i see um the microsoft that's here in redmond washington that has Mm. thousands of employees working on extremely cool stuff and then I also right. see the Microsoft that always fails to execute on a, at a large scale for somehow being such a large company, understaffs big projects of massive importance, um, and is continually rife with internal politics and uh, fiefdoms. And the, it's interesting yeah, see, to have such a two, you know, like a two-sided company. See, the thing is, I see two Microsofts too, but very different. I see the company that's interesting and just doing cool stuff. Then I see the company that's actually making money. Hmm. And I think uh, picking Nadella as a firm step towards the time to make money, right? Let's focus on our core competencies. Yeah. You know, so what do you, you know, the other thing is they just put a guy in charge of one of the world's largest companies and one of the most important tech companies in the world. And the man's never ran a company in his life. So in my opinion, Gates's new role is really about power for Gates. 
and and sort of being a puppet master of Nadella, at least for a couple of years. I mean, think about the responsibility of running. Is it safe to say the world's largest software company? I think it might be. I mean, Windows has what? 1.1 billion users? Are they a software company now? I thought they were a device. Oh, that's mean. Oh, Uh, isn't it just kind of, it's very interesting the way this whole thing went down. And I think uh, we don't see it all right now because we're in the forest. But when when we're down the road a piece and we look back at all the trees, we'll see a few things that aren't quite right about this whole situation. That's all I wanted to say. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think I think Nadella himself has hinted to where he's going, whether somebody's pulling the strings or not. I mean, his first in his first address, he redefined the company's goal. They spent a year pushing this devices and services narrative, and he comes up and says, "Oh no, we're a software company." Oh, he did. Oh, that's right. interesting. You should you should read his uh, yeah his speech. I will. That's it's, interesting. I mean, he, he is who he is. He's a very talented executive for software, and. You know, people have been reading all kinds of stupid crap into this that they're going to kill X, but they're not going to do anything like that. No, I don't think so. I think but, that all plays into their existing strategy. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that they have that isn't a household name that is incredibly pop, uh, popular in the enterprise and also actually pretty good, right? Hyper-V. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. Yeah, Hyper-V I mean, I mean, is there, there are good. things they could be doing that may not be sexy to talk, uh, you know, talk about over Thanksgiving dinner, but our software, that's the key, and are very, very, A, best in breed for what they are, and also going to make them a lot of money. I mean, I don't, I'm not concerned. If anything, I think Nadella is is the right choice. Mm. Uh, I'm just concerned about, you know, Lord Gates. I, I love Bill Gates, but I, I feel like even, you know, unless they reinvent a product category, I kind of think the mobile race has kind of already been run. Right. Um, the The personal computer race. I mean, Moore's law is already starting to break down in personal computers. You know, and um, cloud type services right. are so much easier to break into in the sense that they're abstracted. You know, they're an API, they're, uh, they're a web service. It's much easier for somebody to innovate there and then for the next generation of de- applications just to develop, be developed on it. Whereas a hardware platform like a hardware software platform like Android, that's like now trying to break the Windows monopoly on the mobile market. Well, Androids, I mean, I don't know if you put it in the show notes. By the way, guys, today is a Chris show. He did everything. Ooh. But did you see the uh, Google leaks about how they're controlling Android? Yes, I did. Um, through the, you know, like even down to the, you must place the Google search bar right here at this location on the home screen right. um, and all of these kinds of little, and these this goes back, uh, that was, I think what that leak was from Gingerbread era. So, yes. yeah. Um, I, you know, I look at that kind of thing and don't you think though that Google kind of has to do that to deliver some sort of sense of similarity between Android devices? Otherwise you would think these, oh, I mean, who knows what these OEMs would do? Well, I think it's the OEMs want to avoid the Windows situation with PCs where every PC must have Windows and they're paying a royalty. Um, and Google needs to somehow monetize without charging a royalty. So they're obviously pushing their services, but. I, you know, I, I think it's interesting that Google is effectively no longer going to try and make money on hardware, right? When I think that's a fair assumption. Yeah, it sounds like the Nexus line's going away, and right, Motorola out. just got sold. Right, right, right. Microsoft is now pitching itself as a software company. Are we just reverting back to where we were before? Hmm. Where Apple's the only one who does the unified system. Uh, I wouldn't count Surface out yet, and things like that, and you know Xbox, but yeah. I, 
I, as far I love as my Surface. I mean, the, I think consoles are, are kind of different. Um, I love my Surface, but it, I just it's a laptop replacement that's not that cheap. Yeah, that's true. Because you really need the Pro version. Right, and you can get a Chromebook for cheaper. Right. Yeah, that's the hard part. Um, all right, well, we're going to get to a Hiskala question here. But first, why don't I thank DigitalOcean, one of our sponsors for Coda Radio. What is DigitalOcean, son? How do you not know about this yet? DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. And that sentence says a lot. It, they really are. Uh, they have a whole droplet system that you can deploy onto a VPS at DigitalOcean backed by an SSC, SSD drive and uh, a terabyte of transfer if you get the $5 a month service. In fact, users can create a cloud server in as little as 55 seconds. And actually, I think 44 seconds is our Jupiter Broadcasting community record. Let me know if you can beat that. And that with pricing plans starting at $5 a month for 512 megs of RAM, that 20 gigabyte SSD really makes a difference. A CPU and a terabyte of transfer, which is a very generous amount of... And by the way, um, I was uh, trying out an app recently on my uh, one of my DigitalOcean droplets, and I did a speed test. I, I was getting like 100 megabits. It was very fast transfer. So when you combine that with uh, their their high-end boxes, very high-end hardware, and the SSD drive, it really screams. DigitalOcean also has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, now Singapore, and Amsterdam with their simple interface, intuitive control panel. And by the way, power users can replicate it on a larger scale with a straightforward API. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a $10 credit so that way you can try it out for two months if you get that $5 unit. Listeners of Coder Radio can get that $10 credit by using the promo code Coder Radio February. That's all one word, Coder Radio February. So go over to DigitalOcean, check them out. There's, you know what, you'll be surprised what you can do. BitTorrent Sync Server, Yassi Search Server, all kinds of, uh, a, a directory server I've set up for some internal contacts here at Jupiter Broadcasting. We're hearing people to set up mail servers. Mike's used it to test app deployment back end for well, a couple of years, a year now, a while now. And it's great for spinning up something you want to throw a couple of test users at. It's great for just permanent fixed infrastructure as well. That low run cost with that fixed cost, you know you're always going to pay $5 a month. And if you need more than that, you just up it to the next level. You're not going to get a surprise bill where all of a sudden you've used a ton of bandwidth and you didn't know uh, you were using that much bandwidth. It's it's terabyte. It's one terabyte. It's a fixed cost. You need, cost. You need more than that, you go get to the next plan. It's great for developers. In that sense, you always exactly know what you should be budgeting. It's great for guys like me who need a back-end infrastructure for our media services, and I need to be able to have a fixed set of costs. It's, it's also fantastic because I can experiment with things and utilize their backup and snapshot system. They have a one-click application install. You can deploy a WordPress or LAMP stack from one of their droplets in seconds. They have droplets pre-configured with Docker. So if you're using the excellent Docker system that we've talked about, you're ready to go. They have a very active developer development community around Node.js, Rails, PHP, uh, Linux, and all of those things. And they utilize some really awesome Linux technologies, um, like KVM, just as an example. So go over to DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODORADIO February when you check out. See what I've been talking about, why I've been so happy with DigitalOcean. They got a video right there on their page. It explains a little bit more. 1.1 million cloud servers. Now that's some serious, serious infrastructure. So a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. Go use that promo code CODORADIO February. Man, two months, why not? You get two months for free. All right, so getting back to uh, Voldy's question here, he was asking um, what, uh, if any thoughts you have at this point about using Scala and what your experience was. He says he wanted to learn a functional programming for quite some time and decided to learn Haljor, and it's amazing. The way of managing state is fabulous, uh, and, uh, but he wanted to hear your thoughts on uh, Scala. 
you have thoughts on Scala? Kind of. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I keep peeking in and out of the Scala world. <laughs> Taking a look. Yeah, I see it's over there. So one of the things about Scala is it tries to be non-threatening where, you know, it, it really wants you to be an OO, um, you know, functional kind of language, but it allows a lot of the OO stuff. And I have a nasty habit of just writing Scala that wants to be Java. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to be a Scala developer. I definitely want to do that. I just keep not. Yeah, I know how that goes. I mean, I would say, you know, Scala is definitely a low barrier to entry for functional programming. But the issue is that it is a low barrier to entry and it allows you to keep doing things the OO way, which can mm. be, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Closure, I guess. All right, well, Garrett wrote in, uh, this one, uh, I, I, gotta, I just got to kick around a little bit with you. So he says, uh, he, wrote, he says, here's an article about your favorite subject. I'm not sure I agree, but the author argues that technical debt is not necessarily a bad thing. And here's essentially what his argument breaks down to. Uh, the author says that it's important to be clear that writing bad code is very different from acquiring technical debt. If you can't refactor your software because it's poorly architected or poorly written, you don't have technical debt, you have bad software. All right, so that's an interesting point. He goes on to say, it's very easy to fall victim to the thinking that debt is always a bad thing. But that's not always the case. Debts are a trade-off. And smart borrowers understand that long-term benefits outweigh, often outweigh the costs of a college de- uh, outweigh the costs. A college degree can help a person earn enough money that's going into debt. You can make it up. It makes sense. Similarly, technical debt is something that developers should knowingly take on in order to improve their product in the long term. When he was originally describing the metaphor to his boss, Ward says, I thought borrowing money was a good idea. I thought rushing software out the door to get some experience with it was a good idea. So he says also that it's kind of a natural, it's kind of a natural uh, um, occurrence of software development. I wanted, I, I, so I want to touch on the technical debt is not always a bad thing concept because uh, I, I harp on technical debt a lot on this show. But I realized like I, when it, in reality, I have come into client situations and I've evaluated the situation and looked at their technical debt and thought, you know, it's probably easier or more efficient to just keep this system running than to replace this system. And, you know, really had to give that some thought because there is some downsides to that, especially if things are a little wonky, not exactly stable. Have you ever run into this where you're like, I'm, I'm not even going to bother replacing it. I instead will spend the time, which is a more of a long-term cost, right? Because I'm going to be spending that time in little bits and pieces for years instead of spending a month or two replacing it all up front. Have you ever run into this where you've decided to just yeah, bite the bullet? But, and, okay, so in that case, technical debt's still a bad thing. It's just less painful to ignore it than to actually address it. Right, but then doesn't that kind of mean it's a good thing? Like, if it's less work and less effort to just continue to address it over the long haul, isn't that a win? Uh, I would say no, because if there's ever a case where you need to address it immediately you're going to come to a grinding halt. That's true. It could bite you, especially right. can, and sometimes compound issues too. I mean, I, I guess I, I didn't read the full article. I'm just hearing about it now. I, I could see certainly a religious adherence to doing everything the right way. Going too does far. Make, yeah, it's too far. But I don't, I don't know any developers who do that, right? Yeah. I, I guess, sure, you could, you know, I'll give an example too psychotically avoid making some sort of singleton or global because it's a bad thing to do. Okay, well, that might cost you another four hours today, where if you just temporarily use the global or a singleton, you would be fine. Hmm. Um, and then you can go back and get rid of it later. Yeah, that, then in that case, sure, the technical debt's a good trade. 
I think it's wasted effort. I I would say yeah. I mean I I guess it's a spectrum, but there's yeah. That's a good way to put it. It's a spectrum, and you just kind of have to make the call at the time. Yeah, I mean, I, the, definitely the longer something stays in the code base, though, the more more bit rot you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the other thing you have to remember too is like. Uh, you might not always be the steward of that thing. And so that means right. if you don't fix it, the next person that comes after you might have to fix it and they might have a larger problem on their hands at that point. Right. So yeah. Uh, but I, I have, I have been one to say, let's just keep the debt. F- and uh, I actually, kind oh, of, yeah. I kind of have regretted it almost every time. <laughs> now that I think about there's, it. There's that too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Kevin writes in and uh, he says, Hey, go to radio. Hey, Kevin, I have some questions for you, both of you regarding, the healthy time frame for receiving a deposit on a project and then starting it. Usually when I start a large project for a client, I get half of the amount up front and the other half when I complete. I assume this is standard and how Michael does it himself with his clients. Recently, I agreed to a project for a client and the manager assured me that a payment was on the way and to start the project anyways. Typically, I wait for the deposit before starting, but this time, time was not on my side and I completed more than half of the code while the payment was in transit. Fast forward a week no payment. I talked to the manager multiple times and he kept telling me that the payment was sent and started giving me arbitrary check numbers. On top of that, I told him that I ceased work on the project once a week went by and there was no payment. He started to yell at me on the phone because I was somehow making him look bad and it was a big mistake on for me to stop working on it. Fast forward two weeks since the original statement date and I finally received the payment. The client lost a week of me working on it, but I had my I had to stick to my guns no matter how much pressure I received from the manager and his employees. My family and close friends said that it was the right thing to cease work and the manager was in the wrong for stiffing me. So in summary, was it wrong to start a project before the initial deposit or is it pretty common to get started either way? From your experiences, what is a good buffer for waiting for a deposit before getting started? My current project is learning experience is a learning experience and hopefully down the road I can find better clients who are willing to pay on time. Thanks, Kevin. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean I so generally I don't do half up, half down. I do um milestone billing, but with that first deposit is usually paid up front and you pay for a sprint before the sprint happens. Mm. What happens if they don't pay? Well then we just stop. And if they don't pay for a certain amount of time that there is a clause in the contract that it's cancelled. Yeah. Um I will say that there have been clients who reject that and you end up making different terms with, but it's very important to have some sort of um, stopgap where if an invoice is late by a certain amount of time, the project is killed. A week? What do you think of a week? I actually do. Um, so the way I'm doing it now is if the invoice is late by a day, it adds, a, it adds four days to the project timeline. Wow. Yeah. Um, the reason for this is, and I, I think the writer, when he starts freelancing long enough, clients are always going to try and the clients who are the smallest and don't necessarily pay on time are also the ones who are more likely to want to sue you. Especially if they're not paying you on time resulted in their project somehow being late and causing them an issue. So it's super important that you have something in there that if it's late, it kills the contract. Um, now, obviously, this is one of those things where I waive it 99% of the time. I think I've only actually enforced it once. I'm wondering if, I bet you Kevin doesn't even have a contract. It's just kind right. of a, yeah, a learning experience and it's a, a handshake and a, and a thank you. Yeah, that's not good. I mean, I don't know where Kevin's based out of, but in the U.S., 
particularly with a bad economy, um, you know, anybody can sue anybody for anything here. Mm-hmm. And you not necessarily getting paid on time doesn't mean you get to cancel the contract if your contract doesn't state that. Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised um, that the guy, that the manager reacted like that. That seems pretty fair to me. I'm, I'm not surprised at all, actually. Yeah, I'm not either. Because most of my clients, I, and I can tell you exactly what happened. The manager probably isn't a bad guy. They're probably using like a, um, a payment service like ADP or Chase Payments. And there's about two to three weeks lead time on them sending the request and Chase getting you a check. Mm-hmm. So they could send the request on a Monday and say, okay, you're good to start Wednesday. But that's just not not realistic on their part. But if they're using this this payment service, they should know that. I mean, the fact that it's a surprise that it took two weeks is weird to him. Weird. Yeah, and the fact that it took two weeks makes it sound like they didn't really get to it till he made a stink. Uh, I've I've had these payment services take a while. Yeah, well, if it's a big enough it, company too, you can have yeah. like just political internal bureaucracy that makes things take longer. You know, you submit a pay, you submit a request to the to the department that handles payments, and then you know they you know it, just, it, it, it depends on the company, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very important to have a contract. It's very important if you're using a client contract, the project not be super large. Also, uh, what about you know maybe for smaller just training experiences? What about billing hourly? I actually don't like hourly billing. Yeah. Uh, I feel like hourly billing is not ideal for a lot of reasons. For one, it's sort of for the for the uh, for the uh, person that's hiring the contractor. It, it it sort of puts you at a disadvantage because that contractor makes more money if they take longer. Yeah, there's that. Uh, and also, if you're really good, you don't get paid your value because you got it done really fast. And if you say you have a, a library of existing uh, code that you could utilize for this project and so you saved a bunch of time well you're still using your highly valuable quote-unquote product to make that thing for them just because it took you three hours or four hours or yeah. two days less time doesn't make that less valuable and also hourly billing at least the way i used to do it requires a lot of paperwork a lot of uh, record keeping yes that, that too because yeah. uh, you got to give detailed notes on what every right. hour was spent doing <laughs> It's unfortunate, but you you kind of if you're gonna be a freelancer full time, you have to assume that every client's a scumbag, and is gonna not want to pay you. You have to keep those records to be ready for a dispute. Yeah, it's always it's everybody's you know everybody has their own best interest. It's not even like an evil right. thing. It's just human nature. No, it's not a negative thing. But if you, you know, I know some folks I work with around here are a little liberal on the way they uh, track hours. They don't add hours, but they're not. They don't take detailed notes, right? Yeah, and I've kind of talked to them. I'm saying, you know, if if I was your client and I didn't want to pay you, you showed me this. I wouldn't have to pay you because yeah, the way court works, it almost always in favor of the client. You know, Ickmeyer points out in the chat room. This even applies to his photography business. He, yeah. he says he thought about hourly billing for photography, and the math just doesn't work. In that case, yeah. they're buying a product, not time. It's really difficult when doing a product as opposed to a service. Very true. Yeah, good luck, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it sounds like I mean, it sounds like this might be your first freelance gig. You, unfortunately, being a good developer is maybe fifteen percent of what you're doing, and the rest of it is avoiding legal issues and accounting issues. Sounds like he's doing it the right way, though, by tr- you know learning this stuff with you know the a right small project. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yep. even even if this guy stiffs you, which you know, to be honest, it does happen. People pay me late. People, you know, sometimes it takes months to get paid. Um. Rampy says in the chat room, if you think freelancing is only coding, you better yeah. get a day job. 
People hate it when we talk about the contract stuff. I got an email. He said, I don't like it when you talk about the client stuff. But let me tell you something. This is going to be more and more the reality that developers face. This is going to be it, you guys. You're going to have to go out and do this yourselves at a certain point for a a lot of you. Not all of you, but a lot of you. Welcome. Welcome to the new economy, everyone. Welcome. Enjoy your stay. (laughs) Try not to go crazy. I mean, it's, you know, unfortunately, and this might just be me, but when I approach a contract, um, you just have to figure is this contract big enough that if it fell apart, would it be an issue? Right. Oh man. Yeah. 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 You don't want to be the too is, big to fail contract. Right. I mean, my experience, I don't know, Chris, if this is yours, the smaller the client, the more of a pain in the ass. Yeah. And the bigger the client, usually the slower they are to pay you. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. uh, and it is really hard to strike that balance. Right. Yeah. I totally. Yeah, I mean, I would say use this as a learning experience, but you're going to have, you're going to need to probably get a contract and in cases where they want to use their contract, prepare for a week or two of back and forth with their lawyer about clauses in the contract. Because mm-hmm. I can tell you every time a client's handed me a contract, there are three or four clauses I've had to insist that they strike or walk away. Do they act surprised? Like you have an issue? Everybody yes. just accepts oh, every this. time. Yeah. Everybody just signs this. What's your problem? I've heard that story a couple of times. All right, well, Scott writes in. A lot of people liked episode 86, the, uh, um, what was it, the uh, mythology of uh, methodology. Right. He says, uh, hi, Mike and Chris. This is Scott. I listen to Coda Radio every week, and I really like the developer-focused topics you cover. I'm a 33-year-old computer science student going back to school to become a developer. Your talk about learning version control hit home. I dig into the th- I dig the theory that I am learning, but I want to get paid to develop software. What are some resources I can use to learn about version control, Git, SVG, etc.? Yeah, actually, so um, Code School has a, I believe it's still free, Git course. Oh yeah, let me go check that. And we have yeah. an affiliate with Code School at the bottom yes. of our website. That's a great. Yeah, idea. and uh, uh, I, I, I've been told it's fairly good. I'm going there so, right now. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Git. Here it is. Yep. They, they still have it. Get basics, yeah. Get try basic. get try get is the free one. Then they have uh they have actually several get courses. Courses, okay, they're courses. Yeah, 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 yeah. I recall this now. Very good. There you go. That's probably the best way to start out. And, they, and I think yeah, like Mike said, some of them are uh, are free. So go to the courses, all courses, and then uh, scroll down there until you find uh, the uh, get real. <laughs> and then there's also a book that's actually available online called Pro Get. Yeah, here we go. Um, that I read. And it's it's a little thick, but fairly good. I'll link it in the chat. So if you try that out, uh, do us a favor and click that affiliate link at the bottom of the site first before you visit, and then we get like fifteen bucks or something. I don't Woo! remember. I know it's crazy. Good luck, Scott. Good luck. All right. Uh, so uh, we've got one more email to get to. Uh, it's Karim, and he writes in. He says, uh, "Hi, Mike and Chris. Whoa, what a show! Episode eighty-six. <laughs> Another love eighty-six episode. I know. Wow, check that out." He says, "Mike got uh, the pronunciation of my name correct. I'm sure I just uh, yes. butchered it." Uh, here's a background followed by an update. Background: I'm a full-time .NET developer working for for a software company in Nashville, Tennessee, that centers to the banking industry. Hmm, caters to the uh. banking industry. I've been a .NET developer since I first started programming while I was still in college in April 2006. I'm a 29-year-old male, married, wow, of an East Indian origin, living in the USA. Well, look at this. We know everything about him now. I sometimes, Blood type? Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes take projects on the side if I can uh, dedicate enough time to them and find them interesting enough. Even though I work on Microsoft technologies for my day job, I'm a Linux user at heart. I live the Linux lifestyle. Even the projects that I work on on the side, I do development on my Linux laptop. No VMs, no Wine, no second Windows computer. 
like a project I worked on for the internet security startup to help create a secure browser using the Qt framework or the ASP.NET MVC app I created for a wholesale jewelry repair shop to validate the filter data coming out of their legacy invoicing system. Yep, I did manage... Uh, okay, I'm going to skip a hell of a... Let's get along here. He says, oh, by the way, he says that he loved Mono, by the way. Uh, so the guest so, uh, was to find a replacement for ASP.NET for my... So the quest was to find a replacement for ASP.NET for my personal hobby project as well as a side project. Uh, that's when I decided to send an email to the show, which I'm so glad I got the discussion going. Even though the email was geared towards Mike, I was glad to find that Chris was able to resonate with my issue. When you love Linux as much as I do, but can't switch your entire workflow to it, it's very heartbreaking and frustrating. In my case, I couldn't continue with Linux if I wanted to stay with .NET. It was a clear choice that was already made. I just needed to find an alternative to .NET now. Says I took the I took a look at the Play framework, and I have to say I was impressed. That would be an understatement. There's certainly a learning curve, and I acknowledge that, but I do see potential that Mike has mentioned time and time again on the show. QT for the desktop, and mobile play for the web. Thanks again for the great discussion. Thanks to Mike for the DigitalOcean, and now play. You have excellent recommendations. So look at that. You just switched another guy over to Java Play. Woot! Those guys going to cut you a check? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I don't even know who, who started that project, actually. Yeah, uh, uh, but we've gotten a few emails. People are loving it. People are. It's it. funny because when I first mentioned it, a lot of folks were skeptical. It was at the height of the quote Java hack. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. And, you know, I was remember all the crap emails we yes. were getting. People, oh, you shouldn't be doing Java. And right. now I'm just, you guys see, a, a nice sip of Java makes your day better. You, you know what? I, uh, I think you totally called it. I think you totally. I also, it. I don't know. I mean, he mentioned RavenDB in his email. We have a special guest coming in a few weeks. Get it out of here! Really. That Chris Fisher does not know about yet, because I forgot to forward the email. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking yes. forward to it. Uh, well, all right. I want to uh, thank GoDaddy.com, another fantastic sponsor of the Coda Radio program. And guess what? Good news. Good news. The 295.com is back. If you've been considering grabbing a .com for a future project, if you have something you want forwarded, anything like that, I've been using these. I just grabbed myself a couple of .coms because it's $2.95. It's cheaper than some apps. Just use the promo code 295CODER when you check out. I also say, if you're working with a team, you got a group of people, one to a dozen or more, GoDaddy is excellent with their shared admin control panel. You can set good permissions so you don't have to share passwords. If you work with clients, this is what you need to do. You need to do this so that way you don't have to log in as them. And then if something ever happens, they can't blame you because you're logging in with your own account, your own credentials, keeping it secure. You can transfer it when they get a web guy, whatever you need to do. It's really handy. And now for $2.95, why not go grab you something you've been waiting for? So go over to GoDaddy.com, use the promo code 295CODER, Find out why they have more than 12 million customers, and they're the world's number one domain name registrar with more than 57 million domains under management over at GoDaddy.com. Plus, they have that award-winning 24-7 support. So go check them out. Go to GoDaddy.com. Use the promo code 295CODER to get that .com. They also have all kinds of other great services like a brand new WordPress hosting, uh, uh, Office 365, all of that stuff. You can also use the promo code 30DEAL2 if you're not getting a .com. 30 deal too to take 30% off anything in your shopping cart that's new. So go over to GoDaddy.com. Use the promo code CODER. No, I'm sorry. 295 CODER. 295 CODER. Over at GoDaddy.com. And a big thank you to GoDaddy for sponsoring the CODER radio program. All right, Mr. Dominic. So I, I wanted to talk to you today. You remember a couple of weeks ago, or two weeks ago. Yeah, it was two weeks ago. Uh, I discussed this issue that came up where the Linux Action Show mm-hmm. covered a story from the mailing list uh, on the KDE project, and there was a couple of details that were wrong, and I felt really bad about it, and we were getting some heat for it from the KDE group. 
And uh, I, at the time, I thought, uh, yeah, I, I should have done a better job. And you, there's probably a better way for them to communicate and uh, publicly big ticket items that the quote unquote press has an interest in. Well, this morning, this issue came up again. Uh, Martin went to Google Plus. Now, Martin is the maintainer of KWIN, and he's a really fantastic developer. He says, once again, I'm upset by the media reporting about discussions on a mailing list and reporting incorrect information in an extremely tabloid style. Uh, And he is referring to a post at Pharonix about the shuttering of a major component of the KDE desktop. Mm. So here we are. Uh, two weeks later, and we have another miscommunication where an open an open community, and you've talked about that tool recently too, where you have your development out in the open. I can't remember what that tool was called, but I want to circle back to that in a second. Where you have, because of the type of development work being done, open source development, and the type of collaboration that they have used for years, mailing lists, and the fact that those are archived online in you know HTML format for anyone to view, they keep running into this problem where people are going in there, pulling out little bits of juicy details, and then reporting on them as fact when they are sometimes just discussions around what to do with this piece of code. Uh, and I, I want to look at this problem and sort of zoom out at a larger 50-foot view and, and talk about how developers, especially small developers or even maybe large companies who have an active community around their product or work with a product that has an active community – how they can maybe better set expectations and communicate and discuss and maybe even launch their products more successfully. Because I think also there's a really, I think we could have an interesting discussion around how to properly, how to properly make a splash and how sometimes that approach can take different paths. I'll give you an example. Uh, so this Sunday on the Linux Action Show, we technically launched two products. Uh, we launched a new shirt and logo. And we didn't say anything about it until it was available for purchase at that moment. And the moment we talked about it, people could go to teespring.com slash last 300 and buy themselves a shirt. We also announced a new show. If you think of that in the terms of a product, we announced a new product that isn't ready yet. It's not shipping till March. But we announced it yesterday. Two very different approaches for two very different types of things. And I think right. you can look at software in the same way. Sometimes there's... Uh, there is an advantage to not saying anything until it's ready for purchase. And sometimes there's a, an advantage to getting people stoked over a couple of period of weeks to help them generate some buzz, to help get their feedback and input. And I think we could talk a little bit about where those two things would be more appropriate. Uh, and I and the reason why I want to talk about this a little bit is there's also the angle of once you launch something and it gets some negative feedback, like maybe somebody goes to Google Plus and starts sure. just talking trash about you or the product. There's a certain way you have to respond to that, and you have to remember that your response to that will always be forever available in a Google search. And this is something where, you know, when you're working on a project, you're really passionate about it. It's really close to you, and sometimes it can be really hard to take that criticism in and not sort of lash out and respond with an attack, which then gets (coughs) documented on the web for everyone to see. So I got a whole range of stuff I wanted to talk about. So should we start with maybe better ways for developers to communicate with their user base? Are you, uh, are you, yeah, okay. For sure. Sorry, I was coughing while you were talking. It's okay. No, I know. I was Um, doing that last week. So let's talk about this KDE thing a little bit. So they just again got burned by somebody running a story on their mailing list. You were just recently talking about a tool that could bring development out into the open a little bit, although it might be a better tool for than a mailing list. What do you think about, is this a problem that is inherent to open source development? And do you think it's a bad thing? 
So I think there's two problems here. Uh, certainly the mailist thing is is inherent to open source. But, you know, the tool I mentioned last week was called Trello. And they are a proprietary, well, I mean, they're they're a web product, so I know that's a whole weird thing, but they do their development in the open on their own tool, which is, just as an aside, the ultimate form of dog fooding, right? And they don't seem to have such a problem with it, even though people are constantly opening, you know, tickets and trying to get them to add things. They they have moderators who are kind of dedicated to just gracefully interacting with, with their community, their user base, and handling the situation. Um, so I, I guess if you're going to have something as open as that, which I would say mailing list is just as open, if not more open, mm-hmm. maybe you do need someone who, obviously this is open source, this is volunteer, but who just takes, you know, instead of coding for that extra hour a week, kind of tries to frame things for the media um, and and the wider community because if a reporter is misunderstanding it, surely a junior developer looking at this stuff might be a little confused too. Sure. And, you know, recently um, Debian's been going through a bunch of internal decisions, I guess you could say. Right. And it got to the point where, what, see, what Martin's complaining about is Pharonix running a story. But it really got to the point with this Debian debacle where every single person on Reddit became a reporter and was posting threads, hundreds of comments deep, posting it to Twitter, and really people became like social media reporters in a sense and were, were quote-unquote breaking stories that had no context. Uh, you know, All of these kinds of things that reporters are supposed to add weren't there. And it, to me, it starts to create this snowball effect where you can be at the center of it and it just completely gets away from you and it goes on to its own life of its own. <coughs> Which you have, you have no, you know, you, there's really nothing you can do to sort of correct that ship because it's, it's so fire, it's moving so fast and in such a certain direction that you're just kind of screwed at that point. Like by the time it breaks and starts rolling, it's too late in a way. You almost need to be able to set the tone before anybody's talking about it. And I, and I just, I, I just think there's just no way for these open source projects to handle this without, like you're saying, have an alternative location for this information. And I think people really need to consider that if they're working on something that a lot of a lot of eyes are going to be on, they're they're going to have to deal with the unfortunate reality that in a Twitter, Google Plus, Reddit world, Hacker News, this kind of stuff has to be thought about. And that's, I mean, and I, and I wish I was, I mean, I, I wish there was, I wish there was an alternative point of view on this because I, I can't think of one. So if you guys have one out there, email it into us. Go over to Jupiter Broadcasting at the contact link. But to me, this seems like. Just going to be part of the, part of the burden of having an open source project out in the public, if you want to call it that. Um, and I yeah, think I would say even if you're not open source, though, you know, not to interrupt, but given you know just the prevalence of social media, even with the proprietary projects, you're not going to be able to control the conversation anymore. It, it's it's just not possible, right? Yeah. Uh, let's let's look at a, a perfect example. I mean, how many times, particularly last year, did I have to come on and say, hey? GitHub was down last night, so CodeJournal didn't work. Right. Unfortunately, there were folks on the App Store ripping me apart. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, recently there was there was things being said on on Reddit and G Plus about me and the Linux Action Show, etc. That not only was the entire premise of the conversation skewed in one direction that was false, but then a lot of assumptions were made that were completely false, and I just decided. You know, I could sit there and I could fight every single one of those and I could respond to everyone and, and tell them, no, this is technically wrong. Here's the accurate information. At the end of the day, 
I guess here's my alternative point on where Martin's at is at the end of the day, I felt like I should allow my product to do the talking for me. Mm-hmm. Every, every time I release something, every time I release an episode, every time I record an episode, that's my statement, right? That's my response is the actual work itself. And if people see the value in that work and they see the truth in that work, that's all the answer they need. And I didn't feel like I needed to get actively engaged in this conversation because it was a conversation by people who had an agenda uh, and being discussed amongst people who had no information. And to me, it, I just didn't see the benefit in that. And I, and I can see how that could also happen to a, a closed source or open source project. Like, you know, there's the people just start to make assumptions. There's a, there can be a large yeah. discussion. The problem is, is that stuff does last forever. So there is damage done. Yeah. And it's just how do you, you know, where do you draw the line to decide to actively engage versus sitting on the sidelines and letting letting the talking heads talk it out and let it fade away. And that's a really hard thing to sort of, you know, zero in on. Have you ever had to sort of bite that? Um, I mean, I had early on when CodeJournal was launched, like three months later, a bunch of news outlets um, promoted another app saying it was the first oh, right. to interact with GitHub. And I was super pissed off. I remember that. That was so ridiculous. Um, and I tried to write the journalists, but I kind of got told to go bang off or only, only one responded. He apologized and said he would put a tweet saying it's actually not the first, just the first from a well-known developer. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so you only promote apps to people you're personal friends. So I'm like, I'm cool with that. I'm actually fine with that. It's just if you're going to say something's the first in its category, at least search the app store. <laughs> Um, yeah, it is. It is interesting how stories will stories will take a life of their own, and there's not a lot of critical thought given to them. Like, uh, it really didn't take much work to figure out that wasn't the first GitHub client. That you know, it really a lot of these a lot of times I find these stories or these 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 threads are um, are people are almost just doing it for their own amusement. It's like a form. It's like it's it's a new media form of entertainment. In a sense, because well, there's really I mean, well, there's really no effort spent in making correct statements or fact checking. There's like a little fact checking would go a long way in some of these t- cases, right? I mean, this is I mean the situation I just mentioned. It's it's a case of you know there. It's really easy to promote an app made by your friend. <laughs> yeah. In the case of the KDE thing, I think it's a little hard for them to complain though because. You know, these conversations are public in the mailing list. Right. So why – I mean, I, I get what they're saying. and I guess I guess it is the same complaint. You wish the person reporting on it had just done a quick search. Right. But, I mean, what I found is you just can't expect, quote, journalists to do that anymore. Because, frankly, a lot of these pundits aren't journalists, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a journalist. Um, I can tell you most other podcasts, at least when they're in their podcasting capacity, are not journalists, right? Right. I mean, people just aren't doing the research, and I have nothing against Pharonix. I read Pharonix, but I consider Pharonix an entertainment site, not really a news site. Hmm. So I found their reporting to sometimes be hit and miss. Right. I don't. I don't. I. I take it with a grain of salt. I'm not saying they're always wrong. I just. Yeah, that's what I. You know, actually. Yeah. That okay. So let's flip this. Maybe are you suggesting that perhaps the responsibility doesn't lie with the project itself to sort of step up its PR game, but maybe the responsibility well, I, lies with the users to be able to yeah. suss out and the, take things the, with the, a grain of salt. So it's the consumer of the media, right? It's like you know, if you're listening to, I'll give you an example for Linux news. 
then I'm, I'm not, I'm going to butter up Chris here. People Ooh, okay. last is my general source. If I hear it on last, I, I don't check it. I assume it's Holy true. Holy crap. Uh, <laughs> but there's other Linux shows that I listen to that are a little more, I consider entertainment based and yeah. Okay. I can, I can dig that. Right. Um, yeah. you know, Coda radio, not really a new show, right? It's by definition, a talk show, right? So you're probably not going to use this as your basis for any large business decisions or changes made on technology. Right. Um, but there are some sites that I do consider more reputable news sites. Um, unfortunately, I can't think of any off the top of my head, so maybe there's not. It's getting worse, yeah. And it is getting worse. I, I think I, I that mean, underscores your take it with a pinch of salt yeah. approach, right? And, and I think, too, this applies to all types of software projects. You know, like I'll give you an example of something that's super hot right now is everybody loves to pile on Apple when they kick an app from the App Store. And uh, they've recently been cleaning house on not all, but I think three or four pretty well-known Bitcoin apps. Not all Bitcoin apps, but three or four pretty well-known ones. Uh, Now, Apple, being Apple, doesn't make a public statement as to why. In fact, they even give the developers themselves often very little information. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. So what's the rest of the internet do, right? they got pitchforks, they've got their torches, they've got their ammo, their guns, and they're literally literally destroying Apple products um, and and uploading the video of it to YouTube to make a statement. You know, they're blowing up MacBooks, they're shooting iPhones. Um, seems so wasteful. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe Apple is just being a dick because they want to implement their own payment system and they don't want to have competition in the App Store. Or maybe those apps violated an App Store policy that they then found out about and kicked them, right? And so, and, and by the way, some of those apps have been reaccepted, but nobody covers that. Right, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a big s storm when the apps re-added to the app store after the developer fixes the thing they were supposed to fix, and Google kicks crap too, but we don't also get the same pitchforks. So it's this, it's this lack of analytical thought when you read something online, even though we all know the internet's full of crap and there's tons of misinformation posted every single day, multiple times a day. Yet still, still, if people see, you know what part of it is, I think. Part of it is brand trust. If people see a name that they think they trust or know, and that name or brand is saying it, it's like right. it, it like bypasses the analytical filters in their mind and goes right to the fact section of their mind. And they just immediately su- assume it's true without actually giving it the full due as if it was coming from somebody or someplace they'd never heard of before. And I, I, so I agree with you that I think some of the blame goes on ourselves for not thinking analytically and critically about every bit of information we take in and like this whole i'm 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 i don't like apple pulling bitcoin apps from the app store but at the same time i'm willing to give it a week or two to learn more information to find out what the hell was actually going on before i load my gun and go shoot an iphone right i agree it's like what uh nefarious beard is saying brand trust is almost uh, almost equivalent to tribalism or brand feudalism and that is very, very true. And, you know, this recent dust-up about LASS and Jupiter Broadcasting, it was the same thing. There was mistaken and misplaced brand trust in the person saying the things, and so everyone assumed that everything the person was saying was likely true when it was actually all wrong. And this sort of just snowballed because everybody just assumes, well, if the basic information is true, this is outrageous. And this iPhone example is a great thing, and there's a lot – or GitHub being down – Everybody, if if one person's posting in the comments, well, GitHub's down, then a whole bunch of other people will pile on, assuming it must it must be not GitHub's fault, but the app's fault. It 
it's a real problem and people do need to get their crap together. And I think it is interesting that social media does allow for the other voice to respond. Like Martin has gone to Google Plus now on a couple occasions and said this is inaccurate, trying to maybe encourage people to think more critically. But that is a drop in an overall torrent of information that people are now spreading around about that project, uh, essentially saying that the search component to the KDE desktop is dead. Right. And now that's on Reddit. That's on Twitter. That's on Hacker News. I read it this morning on Hacker News. Right, it's all over the web. It's not true. And right. his his one post at Google Plus is not correcting that tidal wave of information. Yeah, I just don't see a way to solve this problem for them without, you know, closing up the mailing list or something equally distasteful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's not really an that's not really a, a, an ideal solution. So, uh yeah. I I think this extends to launch day. How do you how how have you found to communicate the release of a project or a product you're working on? Do you try to go the total surprise uh, route? Do you do the pre-announce thing? What's your what's what's been the strongest success for you? Um, well, the strongest success was definitely a, a total surprise, but that was because it wasn't. Uh, you know, I think once you've had a product be successful, it's different. But the first one is going to be a total surprise because even if you pre-announce it, no one's going to hear you. Mm, okay. Um, a lot of the times I'm finding it doesn't matter though. You know, you're never going to either way can work if the product is good. And if you're not competing in a credit category, um, I, you know, I don't think in the future, I don't know that I would necessarily do a total surprise route for something large. Okay. Certainly for something web-based, I'd probably want to do a uh, kind of like a beta system. Um, for an app, you know, Total Surprise is nice, but the problem with Total Surprise, you really need a lot of downloads in those first two weeks to climb the charts. Right, and so if you kind of prepare people, they can get a little organized about that, right. and maybe everybody goes and downloads and rates it around the same time, and it helps it in the discoverability yeah. in the app stores or wherever, podcast directory or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's essentially where I've fallen down too. Is like, um, uh, it it does depend on the product, and it does depend on what your reach is. Uh, all these things you have to take into consideration. Uh, and the other thing you can you can kind of do is if it's something that you think will grab press attention, you could send out beta or uh, demo copies and say, "Hey, could you you know this is under embargo? Would you be willing to write something about it on this date?" And then you announce it then to sort of a big splash. But that is so hard to pull off, and you don't know if those people are going to write about it. You don't know how that's going to go. But I, I look at so many great things that people in our community have made that just don't get a lot of traction, not because they're not good, but because nobody knows about them. And I wonder, too, if maybe – I wonder why more podcast listeners aren't advertising in podcasts because a podcast advertisement offers a huge return for a very reasonable investment, and it, it, they're massively underutilized for developers. Like I feel like podcasts and developers are like – should be joined at the hip. And uh, every time I've heard an app advertised on a podcast, I've always, like, you know, I've always gone and checked it out, and it, it seems to do well for them, especially if it's the right match to the audience. Yeah, I will say I've I listened to a number of podcasts that do have developers advertising apps. Um, unfortunately, the ones I'm thinking of, you can tell if they are interested in the app or not when they read the ad. Mm. So I, I could definitely see having some apprehension yeah uh, apprehension <laughs> yes. oh man that's good in terms of 
I mean, I, I, so I have looked into the advertising apps on podcasting things. It's not, it's very, very hard to do if you don't know how the person's going to read it. Um, and I'll give you, I mean, I don't want to give specific examples, but there are certain podcast hosts who perhaps you can tell in their advertisements when they're more or less genuine or not. Right. Yep. Yep. It's true. So in a way you could get negative advertising. Yeah. So I, my advice to the, to, in that scenario would be, you know, you have to be smart about who you target and make sure they're the right match. And that podcaster probably shouldn't be taking on things they don't actually have an interest in. That's kind of their bad too. Um, but that's, of course it has to be the right podcast, right? You wouldn't target last with a Mac app. Right. Um, Right. Although you, you, you might target last with a windows eight app because everybody loves windows. Of course, of course Uh, we're all closet windows eight lovers, right? Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, all right. Well, uh, I want to talk, I just wanted to bounce around with you a couple of things of my recent observations on my latest go around of bull crap on social media and how I tried to deal with it. Um, and, and the reason why I want to relate this to developers, because eventually, you know, your app is going to crash or that your website's going to be down and you're going to get S about it and people are going to get a lot madder than you expect. And uh, this yeah. is something I want to talk about because you will be surprised at how angry the masses can get for something you're either giving them for free or something that's like an incredible value. But first, I want to talk about another credible value, and that is Ting.com. Ting is mobile that makes sense. My mobile service provider for over a year now, and boy, I could not be happier because Ting just lowered their data rates, and they're even more reasonable now. So go over to coderadio.ting.com. That lets Ting know you heard about it here on this show. We appreciate you just visiting the site, checking out their savings calculator, seeing what you could save. All of that is just your way of telling Ting, thank you very much for supporting the Coda Radio program and keeping those guys going. And you can check out their offerings because while you're there, dig around the site a little bit. Take a look at some of their, uh, some of their, take a look at some of their blog posts, for example, where they have recently outlined some of the new devices coming to the Ting network, the HTC One Mini, Max. Also, the uh, LG Rumor Touch Refurb is at an incredible value right now, less than 40 bucks for a fully refurbished unit, 40 bucks. For a cell phone with no contract, no early termination fee, and you only pay for what you use. They've also got the Sanyo Miro now, which is a really nice phone, feature phone with an OLED screen on the front. They're getting the Samsung Galaxy S3 refurb. You're going to be able to get a total... You own this phone outright. You're not amortizing the cost over two years. You're not paying into something that's completely not worth it by the end of that two years. You own it outright, all yours, only pay for what you use service, $300. They're also getting the LG G Flex and the tri-band Samsung Galaxy S4. Yeah, Ting supports tri-band LTE. They got a post about that too if you're curious about tri-band LTE and the benefits of it. Ting is a fantastic company and you can bring your own device if you've already got one that's compatible with the Sprint network. This is great. This is why you want to go to coderadio.ting.com because they're going to take $25 off your first device if you don't have one yet. If you already have a device, like the, they recently just added support for the iPhone 4 and 4S, bring that device with you. They'll take $25 off your first month of service. They've got a fantastic page all about BYOD, what devices you can bring. You can also sell your old device if you're switching over to Ting and turn that old device into some cash. That helps with that move as well. And Ting has an early termination relief program. You can find that at ting.com slash ETF. That'll take up to $75 off each line you need to cancel. Then you're on a Ting plan. 98% of people would save money with Ting. Check this out. This this number, this next number has been validated by two independent sources. 100% of small businesses with 10 or more mobile phones would save money by switching to Ting. Every Ting plan includes hotspot and tethering, caller ID, voice messaging, picture messaging, etc. It's all included for a flat $6. 6 dollars a month. That's all you pay, plus taxes and then your usage. 
So straightforward. Ting takes your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. They add them all up at the end of the month. Whatever bucket you fall into, that's what you pay. They've got a great video you can go watch on their website about that. And go check out these guys. I'm telling you. I've been paying now for two lines. I've got the HTC One and the Nexus 5. If you're a developer and you end up with multiple Android devices for unit testing, if you need to try out different devices like older devices, I also have an Evo 4G that I turn on from time to time to try out some of the JB apps. This this is a no-brainer. This is the best way to try out multiple devices in real-world real world conditions, not on Wi-Fi, and you only pay for it when you use it. And then, so what I do, Nexus 5 is my daily driver. That's my favorite phone right now. I love the thinness, the weight. I love the wireless charging. It's got a great screen. The battery life is fantastic. But the, H, the HTC One is a Cadillac, my friends. The HTC One is one of the finest phones made recently. And so every now and then I want to be fancy. I only pay for the usage on the HTC One when I need it. Or if I need a mobile hotspot that day, I bring both phones and turn one into a mobile hotspot and use the other phone as my main phone. The reason I can do this, it's not because I'm sort of fancy and some sort of excessive purchaser. It's because the value on Ting is completely flipped. The value is no longer held by the big telco. The value is in your hands. Because you own that device outright, there's no incentive for you not to keep using it for as long as you want and stretching the most value out of it as possible. If you're a developer, you've got to go check this out because this is a better way to manage multiple devices. Ting has an excellent dashboard that lets you keep track of all of these devices, turn them on and off as you need them, set up call forwarding, monitor your usage. It's it is it's like it's like Ting was created for developers. So go over to coderadio.ting.com, go check them out, see what I've been saying, try that savings calculator, and a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. So uh, I want to talk about responding because I think one of the things people, even though they know this, they really need to understand that anything you say in a public forum in response to criticism about your app or whatever it is will be saved forever. And uh, you can count on it coming back up and you can count on people relinking it to you and you can count on whenever somebody's talking bad about you linking to that thread somewhere. And it is a problem that will, you will never get away from because it's saved on the internet forever. And so you've really got to be careful on, on how you respond to criticism. And I know it's hard sometimes because the stuff you create is your baby. And you, it is, it's like somebody's criticizing a piece of you because you have values and, and, and aspirations that you have built into that thing. And when, and when somebody's criticizing it, and especially when they're wrong or they're lying, that's the worst, when they're lying. That is so hard not to just... Rip them up because you've got facts on your side, you've got evidence on your side, and you've got the moral high ground. It's so hard not to go out there, but let me tell you, you never look good in those situations. And it never it never plays out well for you in the long run. Am I wrong, Mr. Dominic? No, yeah, you gotta you gotta kinda keep it cool. Yeah. I mean yeah. you really do because it's 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 forever immortalized and it's it sounds it sounds so obvious when I say it right now to you, dear listener, but you will be in this position at some point if you're creating something that the public consumes. And that point, you'll feel like the rules don't apply to you. You feel like you are justified and you feel like this is something you don't care if it's documented forever because you were right. But trust me, don't do it. I really, I really disagree that, I mean, I guess if somebody, if somebody has a good case, I'd love to have you send it in to the show. Please email us. I would, I would love to see, to hear an alternative opinion to this. But to me, it seems like the better option is to let your work speak for itself, to sit back, just continue doing what you do, make the thing you make, and let people decide if they like that thing or not, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is the way it is. Um, it's really easy to blast you know, a user on Twitter or a user on Google Plus or whatever. Unfortunately, you can't do that. 
in fact, at some at some point, it may just make sense not to respond to that because that user might, you know, he might just be having a bad day. Yeah, that's true too, huh? Now, when you when you've had run into this in the past, were you surprised at the level of anger that might be there for something that you know? is a minor issue or is maybe yeah. a mistake. I mean, I had someone, I think right on the app store, I can't believe you charge $5 for this. Cause GitHub was down for 20 minutes. Right. Which is amazing. Um, right. And I think it's funny too. Like, um, I've seen like, well, I'm going to stop listening and I'm going to unsubscribe, uh, yeah. because of this one thing. And I, you know, I listen to five shows a week and now I'm not going to listen to any of them out of protest. What sense does that make? It's an emotional reaction. And, I feel like in some cases people just wanted to be angry because if they gave it, if like that guy, that GitHub guy, right? If he gave any thought and I mean, I'm sure if he's a GitHub user, he must technically understand that the GitHub service can go down from time to time, but that he did not give it critical thought before he ripped you up and gave it a one star. Unfortunately to me, it's just the way the internet goes, right? On the internet, people tend to be the worst version of themselves. It's a negative in the freedom dimension. Yeah. I, I Especially in an app store review when they can use an alias that they've never used before. And they can also, there's no way to respond to them. Yeah, boy, that's so hard in the app store yeah. especially. Well, maybe that's a good thing in in context of what I'm talking about. In a way, it's a good thing because it, it's kind of the way it is. It's, you know. Yeah. Maybe that's why Apple doesn't allow comments. Isn't, didn't Google yeah. turn on comments recently where you can respond? They did. Now, what's interesting is Google... They did it after they turned on Google Plus and real names. Mm-hmm. I imagine the real names has made things calm down a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'll, you know, here's the flip side. So I don't know. You know, one of the things I like about Newegg is they have right. customer reviews in there. And I actually like it when somebody just rips up like a hardware manufacturer. And then the hardware manufacturer comes in and gives their response. And I can judge based on their response. Like, I think it does help um, in some in some respects. So that you know, that has sort of, I looked at that and I thought, gosh, you know, when I read those responses, I actually appreciate that. And I thought, well, maybe I should start responding sort of like that, but it's just too much. You can't scale. You can't do it all the time. That's the other thing too, right? Is those companies, like those hardware companies probably have dedicated people to manage PR online. That's all they do. So they have time to respond to that kind of stuff. That's the whole flip side to this is it's a massive time sink. It's a massive energy sink and it can be massively demotivating. And where you, you just kind of lose your in, in interest or enthusiasm on working on the thing you were supposed to work on. And it can also it can also be one of those things where you avoid your community because you don't want to deal with this completely inaccurate and, and BS thing or a completely hostile thing. So it can be damaging to the community too. And I think when you engage, it only stokes the fire and continues those flames and draws out the drama longer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. The Coda Radio official response in communicating with your users is... is uh, don't try to be diligent, but uh, don't get don't get pulled down get into the flame in. wars. Yeah. yeah, don't don't get pulled into the fire, as it were, Mister Dominic. Well, Mister Dominic, I think we're just about all done for this week. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No, I think we're good for this week, and we have a special guest next week, and then uh, we'll see where we go from there. Well, I hope you feel better. I, I, you're a, I might you're not a, be alive for next week, but you're a soldier for showing up as sick as you are. Well timed, well timed on the uh, cold medicine, sir. All right, well, we'd love to have you join us live. Come over to jblive.tv at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. Hang out in our chat room, help us title it. We love that. You can also contact the show. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link. And if you'd like to know when we're live in your time zone, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Now, Mr. Dominic, I always like to ask you this. Where should people follow you throughout the week? DominicM.com or at Dumanuko on Twitter. Boom. You know what? I'm going to put links to that at the bottom of the show notes. You guys can find that over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Look for episode 86. 
um, links to my social profile as well. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. See you right back here next week. <laughs>